Okay, good morning. This is Richard Shu, host of Shu Untied. Uh, this morning, I'm very pleased and honored to have with us my guest, uh, Bill Lee, who's a partner at Wilmer Hale. Uh, Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be on. So, Bill, you obviously are you know, known for having a legendary historic career as an IP litigator, IP trial lawyer. But tell me a little bit how you even got started in the field in intellectual property to begin with. Um. So let me tell you two things. First, let me tell you why I didn't start out as an intellectual property litigator, and second, how I got into the field. I didn't try my first patent case until I'd been practicing for 13 years. And in fact, um, in 1989, I was on the staff of Lawrence Walsh, the independent counsel for the Iran-Contra affair, and was asked to come back and try the Amgen erythropoietin case, and that was my first patent case. So you might ask yourself, why was it that I wasn't doing intellectual property for the first 13 years of my career? And that's in large part because I didn't have a technical degree, and I think the assumption for many was that you needed a technical degree to do patent and intellectual property cases. I didn't have a technical degree because my father an immigrant from China who came over in 1948 without a penny to his name, and a theoretical physicist um, advised me not to become a scientist. In fact, when uh, I came to Harvard College, my dad brought me. We put my belongings in my room, and he asked me to take a walk with him. And as we walked down Massachusetts Avenue, he said to me, so, son, you're going to be a scientist. And I said, I am just like you. Uh, We then walked another few steps, and he said, "Um, if you want to be a scientist, you need to be a deep thinker. I thought nothing of it, and we walked another few steps, and he said, he stopped. He looked me right in the eye, and he said, well, son, you're not. Change your major. Something will work out. And then he left, and I changed my major to economics. I did not become a scientist, and as a consequence, I didn't have the technical background to move immediately into intellectual property, and that delayed my arrival for about 13 years. Um, Once I tried the Amgen case, um, an interesting, one of the first genetic engineering cases in the country, um, both the firm and I obtained some notoriety for having tried the case and pursued it through the Court of Appeals, and that catapulted us into the world of intellectual property. Well, when you first tried that first case, was did you instantly fall in love with science and technology and intellectual property? What was your first reaction? Um, well, the case was uh, a case of significant proportions because it was, uh, I still think, the first biotechnology case tried in the country. Erythropoietin was the first genetically engineered protein that was going to become a therapeutic, and therefore there was great interest, and the market was in the billions of dollars. So it was interesting technologically. It was um, interesting as a business matter, and the legal issues were fascinating because it was the question of whether a 300-year-old legal system could catch up with a modern-day technology. So the collection of those issues, the legal issues, the technology issues, the business issues, all made it 
fascinating. And if we move from that case to other cases, it's that combination which has um, kept all of us here at the firm and kept me interested in um, these cases. I mean, today, as you and I talk, there are scientists at Harvard and MIT sitting in their laboratories engaged in the type of research and development that 10 years from now, someone will be litigating. And it's marvelous to think about it in that context. Well, given what you know, if you knew then what you know now, do you, are you, do you regret that you just didn't go into intellectual property law right away? Uh, no, not at all. Um, when I arrived at the firm, what I wanted to be was a trial lawyer, a trial and appellate lawyer, and that's what I focused on. And I had the opportunity to do antitrust cases, commercial cases, product liability cases, Indian land and claim cases, and criminal cases. And I think that breadth of experience was important as I moved into the intellectual property area. I've tried even after 1989, when we began to move very substantially into the intellectual property area, to have a variety of other cases that I'm litigating, not only because it piques your intellectual interest, but I think the breadth of experiences as a trial lawyer and an appellate lawyer um, contribute to the quality that you can bring to your clients and actually also contribute to the satisfaction that you can get from the practice. So I've handled the Sony data breach cases in the last few years. I am representing Harvard in the attack on its admissions policy um, by Ed Blum and some of his colleagues. Um, those cases, I'm still doing some criminal work. Those cases all educate how you perform as a trial lawyer and appellate lawyer, and I think in the intellectual property will make you a better lawyer, just period. What, is your, what did your dad think when you ultimately went into becoming sort of a scientist or started doing technology IP cases? So I, I will tell you two things. First, as my dad got in his car and drove away, his, his precise words were, um, you're not, that is a deep thinker. You have other strengths, and you're a very fine athlete. Change your major something will work out. And he got in his car and he drove away. Now, I have two younger brothers who are both professors at Harvard Medical School, which would lead you to conclude that they did not get the same talk. Um, and they didn't. So as we moved, as I moved into the area of intellectual property and science and technology, my dad thought it was at least ironic, but he took great pleasure in it. Uh, and the fact that I've done a lot of cases in the life sciences has also, you know, made for some interesting conversations with my brothers. Well, do you ever think sometimes that really that scientist in you or the, the medical doctor, your dad being a scientist, is kind of in your DNA and you really could never ever get away with that no matter how much you tried? I, I, I'm not sure if it's in my DNA, but I do know this. I think one of the critical um, aspects of, or one of the most critical traits that you can bring to intellectual property or patent litigation is the ability to communicate complicated technologies to juries, to lay judges, um, to a variety of different fact finders or adjudicators. Um, a key part of being able to communicate the technologies is not being afraid of the technologies yourself. 
I think that my family background um, with my two brothers and my dad led me to at least a place where I was not afraid of the technologies, and I actually quite enjoyed learning about them. And I think that helps, at least it's helped me in the ability to communicate them to others. Now, when you look back at your historic career, you know, given the breadth of stuff you've done, you know, intellectual property and all these other cases, do you have one or two kind of highlights in your mind of either cases or clients that just kind of really stand out? I think so. I mean, I've been very fortunate to have had a wide variety of cases. Um, I will tell you four, let me say four things. First, I had the great, great benefit as a young lawyer of uh, being the chief of staff or the second chair for Jim St. Clair, who had been the second chair during the McCarthy hearings to Joe Welsh, who had represented President Nixon and was one of the great trial lawyers in the country. And in my first 10 years, Jim and I tried 29 jury cases together to verdict. Um, and that experience was unique. I think it contributed an awful lot to my experience and expertise. Uh, the second was serving on Judge Walsh's staff as one of the independent counsel in the Iran-Contra affair. Um, you know, depending on your uh, your political leanings, you either loved us or hated us. Uh, but it was a phenomenally interesting experience. Um, I have, for the last um, decade or so, uh, tried and argued at appeal a whole series of cases for Apple. Uh, particularly in the Apple-Samsung smartphone wars. And representing Apple, one of the great companies in the world, uh, adjudicating products that were at the cutting edge of technology and consumer technology, and litigating them in cases where the legal issues were new and different was a great experience. Um, and then the last one I would tell you is I've also had the really wonderful experience of litigating a whole series of cases in the life sciences, uh, beginning with the Amgen case. Um, they are phenomenally interesting technologically and phenomenally important. One of the most important for me may have been a case that we tried to a jury involving a drug called Protonics that had been a Wyeth product and a Pfizer product. And after a jury trial finding liability, against Teva and for Wyeth. Um, the case settled in the middle of the damages case for $2.15 billion. Um, it was technologically interesting, it was medicinally interesting, and it obviously had pretty big business impacts. Now, with all your incredible experience, um, and I know you probably work with a lot of younger lawyers, what kind of advice do you give to younger lawyers who want to have a career in law or in intellectual property these days? It, uh, it's, it's a great question. Um, I once had a young lawyer sit down with me and say, what's the secret? And I said, the secret is that you get up every morning, you take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to you at the firm or elsewhere. You work as hard as you can, and you get a little lucky. And I really believe those are the keys. Developing the experience and expertise to be a successful lawyer, um, developing the judgment and the communication skill, skills needed to be an effective lawyer, 
are about getting up every day and doing the best possible job you can, um, given the opportunities to present themselves to you. I also tell them that whatever else you hear about law practice, it is all about human relationships. It's relationships with your colleagues. It's relationships with your clients. It's relationships with judges and jurors. It's relationship with opposing parties. And anyone who doesn't recognize that building those relationships over the course of a career, it's critical to having the career become successful is missing the single most important part of developing a practice, in my view. Now, Bill, I know you're a young man. You've had a very long, successful career. But what about your future? Could you see yourself doing anything else? Is there? Do you have any other goals, or do you just enjoy, you know, practicing law, being a trial lawyer, and, and just keep doing that? Well, I'm, I'm, I appreciate the being young part, but I'm 67 years old, so I'm not young anymore. Um, I, I, I would, I would say a couple things. Um, first, um, I'm the senior fellow of the Harvard Corporation, which is the chairman of the governing board of Harvard. Um, And I have been a member of the governing board for nine years, and I've been the senior fellow for three, and will continue to be the senior fellow through 2022. Um, It's an enormously interesting job. We're now in the middle of a search for a new president. It's a complicated, but phenomenally um, energizing institution to be part of, and that will continue for a number of years. I also have been on the faculty at the Harvard Law School for 15 years, um, and as of now, teach a required first-year course, which I've done for, this will be my ninth year coming up next year, and I'll continue to do that. Um, So I think the combination in the near term of chairing the board at Harvard, teaching at the Harvard Law School, and continuing to ensure that the practice that we've built here has a succession plan so that it will be just as robust when I leave are the primary professional goals. Personally, I now have four grandchildren. I have three children. I have four grandchildren. My daughter and her husband have done us the wonderful favor. I view it as a compliment to my wife of buying the land next to us in Wellesley and building a house next door. So I have two granddaughters, ages five and three, who go back and forth between the two houses. And if I was going to tell you, if I was going to identify a primary focus for the foreseeable future, it would be them. Well, Bill, it's been a fascinating conversation. It's a privilege to talk to someone like yourself. I really appreciate your taking the time. If you ever do decide to do something else, you'll have to come back and tell me about it. Uh, I will for sure, but my bet is there won't be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is Richard Shue and Bill Lee. Thanks.